Ron. It is the Canada FM podcast. Got the initials right this week. The podcast where me and uh, Brian say hello, Brian. Hello, Brian. Love that. Uh, we, 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 we profile Canadian bands that really didn't hit it big anywhere outside of our home and native land. Uh, just to kind of prove that Canada is a lot more than Michael Buble and Justin Bieber. Yeah, more than Drizzy and uh, The Weeknd. Who is, and we're recording this on Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. So uh, he's got the good gig uh, doing the uh, Super Bowl halftime show. I, I, do you know offhand who would be the last Canadian who did the Super Bowl halftime show? I don't even think any Canadian has. Like offhand, I can't think of any. Because I don't, I don't see Celine Dion performing at the halftime show. I don't. No, I don't think she ever has. I don't think Rush has ever done it. I thought that would have been really cool. Because I'm just thinking of like our biggest bands. Like if anyone was gonna do it right now, it probably would have been Drake, Bieber, Buble. But it's also it's like it's not quite that. Buble is not really the football landscape. I could see him performing at like the Stanley Cup or something. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, it's, it's so it's it's a crooner. You know what I mean? He's a crooner. Yeah. You know, football. I I I liked it better when they had the rock bands. That period where they had like you know Tom Petty and Springsteen and, and the Who and Prince. Who. Yeah, McCartney, they all did it. That 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 I thought was cool. And then they went. Yeah, we're, back to we're pop the pendulum has swung back into the uh, pop hip hop kind of thing. I'm surprised they haven't done more country because football's such like a kind of like good old boy kind of country game. But it's such it's 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 niche country. That's true. It's not as mass appeal, but I'm, I'm sure if they got Garth Brooks to do it, everyone would love it. So or, who knows? That, what's that stupid band that everyone loves? The uh, Georgia Line. Well, them, but uh, they're the the band is country, but with a bit more rock in it too. The uh, uh, Zach Brown band. That's the one. I could see them doing it. It'd be really cool. I actually like the Zach Brown band, and I wouldn't call myself a country guy, but uh, I think the Zach Brown band are awesome. I was talking to somebody. One last thing about the weekend and the Super Bowl halftime show, then we'll move on. Sure. Uh, I was saying to somebody, I was like, "Do you think the weekend would get? To, is, is he? Would he pull a Drake and kind of give Canada some love on the stage somehow, or do you think he's too Hollywood out?" No, I don't think he's gonna give Canada any love when he's on stage, and I'll tell you why. If you've noticed the videos and the stuff he's been doing to uh, to promote this new album of his, it is it, it's a story basically. He's telling something about his face getting all mangled, and then he gets like plastic surgery on his face, so he was all in bandages for one of the videos, and then they had his face look all dolled up and was all elongated. And it looked it looked weird. He's telling a story through this new album, and I think he's just gonna basically tell that album's story. Both oh, okay. the, the cliff notes. That's what I think he's going to do. So it, I don't think it has anything really to do with Canada. It's just a story of a guy who gets his face messed up. Oh, uh, okay. That's what I can, I can d- deter without getting into uh, heavy analysis. Not like the heavy analysis I did on this week's band, Doug and the Slugs. Had you ever dove this deep into Doug and the Slugs before, Brian? No. Uh, just like I'm sure you'll mention it in your notes, I, I heard them first with the, the Too Bad from the Norm show. Yeah. And so I heard yeah. that, and I remember hearing it on the radio, and I've heard Day by Day. That's all I knew. And then... And then I think as I dug deep, I think I remember hearing some of these other ones on the radio in passing, but nothing, not enough to remember that it was like dug in the slugs. I, like, I think there were times I'd hear some of their songs. I'm like, what is this, Tears for Fears or something? <laughs> they're a little, they're, not, they're more fun than Tears for Fears. Oh, I know. <laughs> I remember, see, when I worked at, see, I knew, like, like you, uh, it was too bad. 
from the Norm Show, like we said. Uh, but then I got more into their stuff when I uh, worked in the at the Caledonia radio station because we had to play. I think it was sixty five percent Canadian. So a lot of these classic bands, I would hear their stuff on loop at that station. And for Doug and the Slugs, we played Too Bad, we played Making It Work, we played the Tomcat Prowl, and I think we did Day by Day too. Those are the four that we had in rotation. And uh, I loved all of them, as we will hear as the day goes along. So Canada's answer to New Wave starts in 1973 when a graphic designer named Doug Bennett decided to pack up and leave his home in Toronto for the beautiful shores of Vancouver. And a lot of Canadians do that because in Vancouver, you barely get a winter. And I get so mad whenever it's like it is right now. Minus 40 with the wind chill in Thunder Bay today, Brian. My car barely started today. Uh, <laughs> these people in Vancouver are outside wearing shorts and there's no snow. And oh, yeah. Nuts. Well, you remember my Uncle John, who's like a giant like me. Mm-hmm. He spent 30 years out in Vancouver after he left the Navy. And uh, or he was on uh, Victoria, Esquimalt specifically. And yeah. my aunt, who lived not far from us in Hamilton, she lived in like Paris, Ontario. Yeah. She just come in from shoveling after a blizzard. And my Uncle John called her. And she's just like, oh, thanks, John. I just got out of like waist deep snow. He's like, oh, yeah? I think I see one snowflake. She's like, fuck off, John. <laughs> <laughs> He says that he's in a pool with a tropical drink, enjoying life in Vancouver. Well, the slugs were enjoying life in Vancouver. And Bennett met the band's original drummer at a lighthouse, where they were there for like a a party at a lighthouse. Um, They were drinking, and he said to the drummer, this is how simple and how it was forming a band in high school. Why don't you find a bass player? I'll find a guitar player. Let's work on some of these songs that I've written out. And that was that simple. And that's when the original incarnation of Doug and the Slug started. Um, In 1978, the band's most frequent and best-known lineup finally took shape. And I'm doing the lineup countdown for Doug and the Slugs because they actually stayed together. It wasn't like the online crush that changed all the time. These guys stayed together. So the lineup was Bennett on vocals, guitarist Richard Baker and John Burton, bassist Steve Bosley, drummer John Wally Watson, and keyboardist Simon Kendall. The keyboard became a bear very integral part of Doug and the Slugs' catalog. Uh, Bennett would also serve as the band's principal songwriter, and uh, Kendall, the keyboardist, said he had some unique and very interesting lyrics, an anacrostic style, if you like. He was a bit of R&B. He was a bit of the 1940s. He was a bit Tex-Mex. As a writer, I think he deserves more credit and he than he gets for being intelligent. He wrote some beautiful and quite provocative songs. Um, all of that definitely shows up, especially on the first album, uh, Cognac and Bologna. If someone said to me, who had never heard of Doug and the Slugs, describe Doug and the Slugs, it's literally like party in a can. It's mixed nuts. It's like no yeah. song is like the next. Like, yeah. there's, definitely, there's definitely some that run similar because it's a similar genre, but in terms of like you put on like a punk album like a Pennywise punk album every song sounds the same yeah. 12 tracks it's all the same this is just a fiesta of, of different yeah they, they would genre hop especially in their early days and uh, I always appreciate that on the album but I did kind of notice listening to all the stuff uh, there was a bit of a Doug of the Slugs formula did you kind of get that? Yeah, definitely. Like they would take, they would kind of recycle certain genres. Like I definitely caught a bit of, uh, uh, like you know that jump blues, and then like the, yeah. the the, the rock, a bit of rockabilly or like uh, the '60s power pop. That Which kind I of showed love. up a little bit yeah. later. 
but because uh, one song, I'm sure you'll mention it, was co- was it one of the few songs that wasn't written by Doug, but uh, it sounded like a Beach Boy song. So you could, like <laughs> they, they really wear their references on a, on their sleeve. Oh, big time! But that harmonizing that they were doing so many tracks. Their influences, their influences yeah. yeah. References, it kind of works. <laughs> Had you not said yeah. anything, I wouldn't have stopped and corrected you. But you're right, with the Beach Boys harmonizing the vocals, that was a big part of their sound. And I think it was their keyboard player. I think it was Kendall who did all the bass vocals, that boo, too bad, too bad, that kind of thing. And yeah. I, I love it. Now, having a name like Doug and the Slugs wasn't exactly hip in the late <laughs> 70s. Many promoters refused to book the band based on their name alone. So, taking a page out of the DIY handbook, the band began renting out community halls in and around Vancouver and hosting dances where basically adults pay something at the door. There's a bartender and a band plays. It's like a concert, but the band puts it on themselves. There's no promoter. They just get to keep all the money. And uh, my dad would tell me about stuff at this time. He would be like, oh, you go to a dance. Like, like a school yeah. dance? He's like, no, it's a dance. It's it, it's it's not really – an adult dance isn't really something our generation's used to. Yeah. Well, it's also, too, like like my, my dad went to school at uh, Ryerson in Toronto yeah. in the 60s. And, like, so, like, there were certain scenes in Toronto on Queen Street and Young Street where there was actually, like, clubs to play. But yeah. maybe, like, I feel like the scene in Vancouver maybe wasn't as developed because there maybe wasn't as many bands that came out of there. So this is, like – it's kind of like what our high school bands growing up had to do. It's like, oh, we played at the uh, – Yeah. Yeah, there was the, the, the church the, the, or whatever. There was like a, a Polish hall too. Yeah, the Polish. Uh, what you call it? The, the Legion was a yeah, Polish the Legion? Legion. Thank you. That's yeah, what yeah, yeah, yeah. Legion halls. Uh, there was like community centers and stuff like that would let you play. They don't get paid because it's just free shows for the, yeah. for the kids, but just to get your exposure. But they were getting some money because you know people had to pay to see them play. Right. Now it was through these dances that Doug and the Slugs developed their avid following. They became known for their guaranteed good time status. And eventually the dances got so big that no community hall could hold them. And the annual outdoor tradition of Slugfest was born. It would go down to Vancouver every year. They'd play outside, big party. Uh, and, it, you know, it, it, like I said, good good times uh, with Doug and the Slugs. See, now, that's even better. Sorry, I just like, especially for that time, like that's so ingenious because like, you know, now in this new like Spotify world, people are always trying to do like a hustle about how to get your band like not exposure, but also just like more money and everything like that. Because a lot of the we grew up in like a golden age of like where the CD sales and stuff reign supreme. But because they didn't have that yet, they had to be very uh, entrepreneurial. Yeah, and so exactly. It's, it, it's very it's nice. It's good to see the, the hustle. Yeah. So even with the uh, that local fame that they were getting through their hard work like you said brian uh the slugs had trouble getting signed still so what did they do what did you think what do you think they did well get get signed so what do you think they did continuing the whole diy aesthetic they probably put out their own label is my guess you got it their own label was called Ritdong. bennett chose the name Ritdong because he said it sounded like an out-of-tune guitar or i guess I don't know. And uh, they eventually, through that label, were able to work out a distribution deal for themselves through RCA Records. So that turned out to be uh, a big deal. And the first release on Ritdong was the 45-inch single for a song called Too Bad. Influence track is one of those great examples of a song that sounds happy but has very depressing lyrics. 
play that's, most that's of That's a lot of it. Like, Because I didn't think about it until I listened to some of these albums two, three, four times. And I'm just like, yeah, some of these songs are dark as shit. Yeah. Apparently, there is a, an unreleased version of this song that has an additional verse. And the verse is graphically violent. And uh, it didn't make the record because it was just very, very unappealing for radio stations, which I kind of think is funny. Now, local radio stations in Vancouver, including CKLG, which I looked up and now exclusively does traffic reports, uh, it reached number two on their countdown and uh, became their biggest cross-country hit, reaching number 20 on the singles charts. And... It scored them two Juno nominations in 1981, neither of which would they win. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, Too Bad got a bit of a rebirth in 1999 when it became the theme song for the Norm MacDonald sitcom, The Norm Show, which had a great opening credit sequence where basically Norm is walking down the street and all the characters on the show are passing him by. And I think uh, one of the characters is jogging and he runs into a a lamppost. Uh, One of the girls punches out a construction worker who's uh, heckling her. Uh, the other girl gets her dress caught in a cab and drives away with her stuck into the cab. Uh, and a wrecking ball hits somebody. Yeah, Norm bends over to tie his shoe and a wrecking ball hits a guy. Yeah, although it's, it's funny. fun opening sequence. The whole show is on YouTube, actually. And, is the uh, whole thing, like the whole series? Yeah. Oh, shit. I gotta watch so- it. I watched the first two episodes, and uh, I, re- I guess in the first season, they had a different opening theme. It was like a cartoon, and all these people were, like, bumping into each other, and they're all, like, getting in each other's faces. Uh, and, yeah, because I vaguely remember that when we were younger and watching it. But now that I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot. The, that was, yeah. like, season two that the – like, it was still too bad, but it was just the different intro. Well, I also remember they had a third one where it was, like, a board game. Like, they were – pieces on a board game that was being played. Uh, and like you said, it was still too bad, but that, that one wasn't as good. The one where yeah. people getting hurt was, was much more in the vein of Doug and the Slugs. <laughs> and I remember asking my dad, because you know we were big into Scott at the time, this song's awesome. Who is this? It's, like, it's literally like a 10-second clip of the song. My dad's like, well, that's Doug and the Slugs. <laughs> I remember thinking, well, that's a dumb name. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird that they don't, like, it's labels and promoters and things back then were so judgy on names it's insane like that whole story about the band called death yeah like how they they didn't get they had a record deal ready to go but they just said change the name and the one brother in the band said nah no deal and they're just like there goes your contract and then now like the 80s all these like death metal bands and like like yeah. you know devil worship and all these things and like so now things are just normal so i bet people would think doug and the slugs now is a weird name but they just will be like oh, okay well it's a fun name so at least you're getting a band that you know it, it, the, the name suits uh, uh what they're putting out into the world so at least we have that. Uh, yeah. Too Bad was included on the band's debut album, Cognac and Baloney. Brian, do you say Baloney or Bologna? I'm not a dum-dum, so I say Baloney. <laughs> it's spelled Bologna. I know some people say Bologna. Yeah, I know, it's one of only three. Go ahead. Colonel isn't uh, isn't is spelled colonel or something, but yeah, colonel. Yeah. Yeah, it's Cornell. It's the highest rank in the military. It's pronounced Cornell. It's the highest rank in the Navy. Ivy League. Shit. I was on an office line. Anyhow, try to be funny. Uh, <laughs> take that part out because that died horribly. Uh, anyhow, it was only one of three Slugs albums to be released in the U.S. The group financed the recording of this album when their manager took out a second mortgage on his house 
I guess he believed in them. It reached number 36 in the Canadian album charts and also earned a general nomination for best <laughs> best album graphics. Which is weird because I've got the album's kind of gross looking. <laughs> well, do you know what's funny? Actually, uh, it's so weird that that's actually a category because uh, yeah. you know how I'm got really heavily into the replacements and you're just like, all right, you won't shut up about the replacements. And uh, it got it got to a point. It was exhausting, I know. But <laughs> the guy that wrote their book, Trouble Boys, he like kind of helped them do like this big re-release. And he yeah. got nominated for a Grammy for like this re-release. It's called Dead Man's Pop. It's like a replacement's box set. Oh, and cool. he got he got a uh, Grammy for like their graphic notes and like the liner notes. I'm like, why is that a fucking a category? That's so dumb. It, it, it's it's not one that gets televised, but, <laughs> but I guess every aspect of putting an album together has a category. And I thought that was weird too because it's got a nice looking glass of cognac, a very literal album cover next to like a stack of mustard covered bologna sandwiches. I don't even think they're sandwiches. I think it's just stacks of bologna covered in mustard and kind of look gross, but I kind of think that that's what they were going for. Um, anyway, regardless, it did not win that Juno. Now you've got a wide array of genres at play here. We talked about that earlier. Ska. There's no better glory when it all gets hairy to be R&B Billy, did I leave, leave anything out? Chinatown calculation. That's cool with no regrets. You can kind of see a the seeds planted for some of their later albums in that kind of genre of like the the blue-eyed soul, like the Huey yeah. Lewis style. Like the seeds yeah. were there, but it wasn't quite as prevalent as later albums. But yeah, no, that's about it. Rhythm and blues, rockabilly, ska. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about uh, reasons why they didn't get as big. But one thing, it's like I feel like they were just like in the wrong place at the wrong time. Like, cause if they're gonna be a ska band, like they're you know they're not in Jamaica, they're not in England for the second wave. They're just like stranded yeah. out in Vancouver, and they're too early for the third wave. Yeah, so. but they weren't. They weren't really a ska. Band. Band. They no, were, you know, they were a pop, a pop band, pop new wave. But you listen to some of those new wave tracks, like uh, the Cindy Lauper, uh, "She's So Unusual." That's got a, it's a new wave album. It's got a ska song on it. That's true. Yeah. Ska art, artist. So you know, they just dabbled a little, little bit of everything. Here's one a question I wanted to ask you about uh, Doug and the Slugs. If you, if you were to describe Doug and the Slugs to someone who had never listened to them before, how would you describe Doug's voice? Doug's voice. Uh, yeah. I mean, he doesn't... I was actually explaining this to someone last night. Um, oh, yeah? You know how back in the day when people refused to book Buddy Holly because they thought he sounded black? Yeah. And, yeah. like, then he, like, brought down the house at the Apollo Theater. I'm yeah. not going to say that Doug uh, Doug sounds black, but he definitely sounds, like, much more soulful. He definitely doesn't look like his face. Yeah. You don't think it's a big, fat, white guy? <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't necessarily think it was a black guy either, just judging by the voice, no. although that... Yeah, could be viewed as racist. Here's what I wrote. I wrote, he kind of sounds like a 45-year-old bartender who's got a weekend gig in a cover band. And I mean that as a compliment. It's very – it's rough that. around the edges, but it's also very strong. It's it's weird. It's like if 
I don't know. <laughs> See, I was gonna, I was gonna make a joke of like, oh, like if, uh, if, if Sam Cook smoked a carton of cigarettes a day, but then I remembered, oh yeah, Sam Cook did smoke a carton of cigarettes a day. <laughs> so that's a bad example. Uh, other singles on this album were Chinatown Connection, which peaked at 75, and The Mellow Drifting Away, which uh, failed to chart. More likely you and me just drifting away. One thing that you're going to learn about uh, Doug and the Slugs throughout this is in the 80s, they worked their asses off and it felt like they put out an album or single or even like a greatest hits album every single year they were always doing something and the slugs next album came a year after cognac and baloney and it was called rap it it reached number 28 on the canadian album charts and produced just one single real enough which I really liked. Uh, and it falls into the same fun ska-like new wave sound that Too Bad has with the big harmonies. But the album's a lot less goofy. It takes itself a little more seriously. It's a little more polished. Unfortunately, the single on this album uh, failed to chart, and I really felt like this was um, an underrated album. It's not even on Spotify. I had to listen to it on YouTube. Same. I, I only got to listen to it once just because uh, I always like to listen to music when I go for a walk. Or Actually, <laughs> sorry. I'm going to let me interject a quick funny story, and then I'll, I'll talk about rap it. Uh, so, right. Bologna, uh, what's it, Cognac and Bologna. Yeah. Uh, I, I was putting it on. I was go. I go for morning kind of walking jogs in the park, and I yeah. was like, I was mid jog when uh, Too Bad came on. I was like, I looked like the biggest moron. I had the biggest <laughs> smile on my face jogging down in this park. People think I was like, this guy's a psychopath. <laughs> Were you skanking a little bit? I wanted to. I wanted to start like <laughs> skipping down the friggin' the trail, but people thought it's like, well, we see enough of that in Hamilton already. They would have thought nothing of it, but uh, right. yeah, I just, sorry. Uh, but in terms of rap, it I was I was very surprised that it's, it had no other like ways of seeing it. Like I, I listened to it a stream or two on YouTube, and uh, so I don't fully remember all the songs. I remember it being very good, but uh, and I enjoyed it. But I'm just surprised that like they, they couldn't plop it on Spotify. Yeah, it's weird. And we'll find this with a lot of Doug and the Slugs albums. Uh, in fact, I believe Cognac and Baloney and their greatest hits albums are the only ones on Spotify. Everything else we'd have to go and find ourselves. And there was a couple on here that I couldn't find at all. But we'll get I to did. those. You I, did eventually. We were able to find. Well, we'll get we'll get to them as we go. Okay. I'll ask you when, once we get there. But uh, yeah, it, it's a lot of this stuff. It would be considered quasi lost media just because. Some of them didn't get a CD release. For instance, Rap It never got a CD release. It was released on vinyl when it came out. There was no reissue. There was nothing. It was just you bought the vinyl when it came out or the tape. Maybe there's a tape. That was it. Anyway, so after all the uh, crazy stuff with uh, Rap It, the band would see its success peak in 1982 with the release of Music for the Hard of Thinking. It might be their most po- one of their more popular albums. They would stay in the Canadian album charts for 30 weeks, peaking at number 22, the best performance for any Slugs album. And they were also nominated for Juno on the heels of making it uh, uh, Music for the Hard of Thinking for most promising group. They lost to the Payolas, another band from British Columbia, who we're going to be covering on a later edition of Canada FM. 
So, you know, the, the, the slugs were doing well at this point. And uh, it sounds like Vancouver was uh, doing pretty well at that time, too. Yeah. And I will say, did you get to hear music for the heart of uh, thinking? Yes, I did. I loved it. Yeah, it was great. Um, like, first of all, it comes in with the, like, that first track. One of the things, like, the, these band, this band was true chameleons. Like, they, they, they come in with, like, the very synthy, new wavy kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and, like, that could have, like, it could have been played by Devo. Uh, yeah, this one is much more heavy on the synth. And they, they do that cover of uh, Nobody But Me. Love that and, one. Uh, little tri- trivia fact, I have it in my next set of notes here. But Nobody But Me, uh, it didn't chart, but it was released as a single and then used in a series of commercials for the cheese brand Tristelli. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I thought that was kind of neat that they're getting that commercial that now they're in commercials. Yeah. Yeah. And and then they got into making it work. Making it work. Which is one of their singles off that, and then uh, the song that I love. It was I was racking my brain about it because I'm like, this song sounds like another song. Like it sounds like it was a cover, or it could have been done by like the Beach Boys or something. Was the one called uh, "Who Knows How to Make Love Stay." And that was written. Singles. It was written by I forget his name, but he was in Starland Vocal Band. Get out and, of town, really? Yeah, he he's the guy. His name is Doug. Also, I think it's a different Doug something. He uh, he wrote Skyrockets in Flight. Get out of town. He did. Who know, Who knows how to make love stay? Yeah. And well, that's uh, cool. It's the one of the like the, that song and uh, nobody but me were the two songs not written by Doug. And, yeah. Uh, and so like I was sitting there and so I'm like okay I looked at the liner notes or like the Wikipedia notes and I was like okay that makes more sense now because I, at first I thought it was like a Starland vocal band cover but it's not they didn't do it but it has that 60s mm-hmm. flowery pop Beach Boys sensibility to it and I was like ah I love that song. Yeah no it was a great tune uh, but I know what you mean about Doug and the Slugs is. That- that especially not if if you take out Doug's vocals, the music is so of its time. Like we'll get into the Tomcat Prowl a little bit later, but I guess we're ta- since we're talking about, it, I'll mention it. Hearing the beginning of that song, I, I was gonna ask, was that like a Rock'em Sock'em video? Uh, or something like that because there's a lot of these songs that sound like they could have been um, played in the background of like the 1987 Blue Jays year in review or something like that you know yeah they're driving and they they just connect with the time really well and maybe they did use it for that kind of stuff because a lot of the stuff I know what you mean it sounds familiar yeah, and even like the the other song uh, with the the song when the doorbell rings, it's near mm. the end of the album. That one, that one is really like when he channels his inner Huey Lewis. Could have been done by Huey Lewis in the news. That is one of their biggest comparisons that a lot of critics found. They would often call Doug and the Slugs almost like a less poppy Huey Lewis in the news. Whatever happened to true love? Is it really such a price to pay? 
You know what I mean? Huey Lewis in the news, but less accessible to yeah. people. You know, where everyone loved Huey, and he was handsome, and <laughs> he had this pure voice. Doug's voice, uh, like I said, a little rough around the edges, and he looked like a guy who was a little rough around the edges as well. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, the, the the rebellious Huey Lewis of the news. Uh, critics love this album. I think this gets the, the most critical praise. It's actually the only Doug and the Slugs album that has a Wikipedia entry. Uh, yeah. The rest of them didn't. Uh, but they loved it. And that was the other thing, too. They loved that mixing of the depressing subject matter with very happy, danceable music. Um, however, even after all of this success and all of the critical praise, uh, their label – RCA lost complete faith in them that they'd be able to connect with an American audience. Uh, They put out their 10 big ones compilation album and then dropped them from the label completely just because they thought they'd never make it any further than they already had. Um, A and M records stepped up. They signed them for their next three albums to still give Doug and the Slugs a, a, a way to broadcast their, their stuff. I'm about to get into 1984's Propaganda. Um, here, the slugs drop a lot of the humor that they used in past releases. Yeah. And they kind of play it straight up on this one uh, as they tried to attract that American audience. Uh, they even listed the help of Toronto hitmaker Eddie Schwartz, best known for writing Hit Me With Your Best Shot by Pat Benatar. He writes mm-hmm. a song on this album called Love Shines. I know those numbers and- Unfortunately, Love Shines did not shine on the charts. It failed to chart. But it had four successful singles on here. Um, Waiting for You was its most successful at the time, peaking at number 83. time day by day would prove to be one of the most popular songs the most popular from this album it actually charted in australia it got quite a bit of airplay over there and on spotify it's the most listened to doug and the slugs song have you ever heard of a new wave band called australian crawl no i haven't they do a song called errol about errol flynn okay uh, hence the phrase in like flynn. Um, flynn they have a very similar tone as these guys on this album okay and, uh, they're very good so it would are it they makes, of the time they're of that same era yeah new I got introduced to them by my friend Miles. He's a huge hipster, big kind of like he he tries to get exposed to all sorts of music. Okay. I'm glad he did because they're they're a really good band. But oh, like cool, cool. they're very similar, and so I could see why Australian audiences would kind of dig this album. Cool. I had no idea. I'll have to look them up. I'll have to add them to uh, Spotify and check them out. Are they? That's what I guess they Australian crawl. Dumb question to ask, but they're actually Australian, right? Yes. Not like that band of Montreal that's not from Montreal. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Or Tokyo I just want to make sure. Club is from Toronto. Yeah, they're not from Tokyo. Tokyo, exactly. <laughs> I've actually um, seen Tokyo Police Club like videos, and their people are comments like, "I thought they were from Tokyo. This is a rip." I'm like, what are you people morons? I got a funny Tokyo Police Club story. This was a couple years back, but uh, my 
My sister and I scored free tickets uh, to go to Hockey Fest, which is a concert that goes in conjunction with this big ball hockey tournament that Walter Gretzky uh, hosts every year, Wayne Gretzky's father. And it started off just Canadian bands, but then they got bigger. And the first really big year, they got Sublime with Rome to play and to headline uh, the Sunday nights. So I, it was on a Sunday night, which was weird. Uh, but I went out there and... Uh, one of the annoying things was, I guess they told Sublime with Rome, you guys don't have to go on till 11. They didn't tell anybody else when their time was. So the bands were all just there. So they just all kept going on stage and playing. So there was like a three hour gap between the last band and Sublime with Rome. It was really long. It wasn't three hours. I think it was, but it was like at least 90 minutes. It was a long wait. And um, Tokyo Police Club was the last band to go on before Sublime with Rome. Uh, and all the other bands that day were more Sublime-like than Tokyo Police Club. Like, you had this band Street Pharmacy uh, that played, and they're very influenced by Sublime. And, you know, it, it really felt that vibe, but Tokyo Police Club just didn't seem to fit. So yeah. all these people in Sublime shirts, and then out of nowhere beside me, I didn't see them the whole day. It was two guys, uh, skinny as rails. Both were wearing those, like, black... Uh, Buddy Holly glasses and striped white and like navy blue striped shirts and skinny jeans and they're right beside me like ah where'd these guys come from (laughs) so Tokyo Police Club plays oh they lose their mind they have the best time and then the one guy turns to the other guy with the show's over and he goes do you want to stay for Sublime with Rome and the other guy goes no that exact candor and they left and that's the story two random hipsters just appeared out of nowhere to rock out to Tokyo Police Club and they left. Anyhow, I got derailed on that. Um, where was, oh, I was talking about propaganda. Well, so what propaganda, they, they found that Australian audience, uh, it didn't go over as well with the critics as their first three albums did. A lot of critics felt that uh, this is a very safe effort from the slugs. Yeah, I would I would say like I enjoyed it. Like there's some kind of standouts like that dancing on the power line is a little more out there. Uh, obviously, day by day is great. Yeah. Um, and I'm just uh, like please 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 was good. Must be love. Like they're they're good songs. Love shines. Uh, it's just nothing like really just pops. So, and it's ironic because it's called propaganda. You think there'd be like more. Yeah. Like, I feel like they've lost the pop element in the sense of like they were just going for modern like very contemporary kind of like basic new wavy kind of. Yeah. They lost the pop element. They're just going for a more like contemporary record. It also wasn't as happy as the other three albums. Yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing too. So uh, maybe that's what it was. Maybe let's not make any waves. Let's just do something that you would hear already on the radio. Maybe that'll get us over. It didn't work. So eventually uh, they took a little break. And Doug Bennett released a solo album in 1986 called Animato. And uh, it's really an unofficial Slugs album because the entire band plays on the album. Now, I only got to listen to the opening track, It's Gotta Be Monday. which I love. Lots of horns. And they used live horns this time, not synth horns. And, uh, and we talked about the Huey Lewis feel. Definitely have it. I loved the song. You got to listen to the whole album. What'd you think? No, actually, I didn't hear this one. Oh, I thought you said you got to listen to the, the whole thing. 
No, I like I only listen to uh, Tom. I, I listen to all the Doug and the Slugs. I never got to hear the the solos. Oh, okay. I got you. I got you. So I guess it does remain lost media. It's not ex- widely available in any place. Um, decent on the charts at the time, and it's got to be Love peaked at number eighty. The album part peaked at number ninety-five. So it did okay. People were buying it. Yeah. Uh, I liked how it sounded. It was a lot happier than Propaganda. At least that one song was that I got to hear. But uh, the whole band got together under the Doug and the Slugs title in 1988. Their final release with Andar, the Tom Cat Prowl. last album to chart reaching number 39 and the title track was their final single to ever reach the top 40 it did really well too it peaked at number 23 and it's an awesome song i am a big fan of the song tomcat prowl however the album i liked it but they really embraced the sounds at the time on this album uh relied heavy on drum machines sent all the bells and whistles that were popular yeah. in 1988 and uh the reviews from the critics weren't negative but they noticed the band were abandoning that previous identity that made the slugs who they were in favor of that commercial appeal yeah yeah and like you can like you can see it with a lot of bands of that era like you look at like the talking heads like what they started on and then they put out their last album like naked in the early late 80s around actually i think it was around the same time and it's a completely different band uh even like the band that i love oingo boingo completely abandoned their like new wave ska elements in favor of just like straight rock lost all the horns it happens to so many of these bands uh and like so what the what the the heart of the band and what they started on just completely got ditched by the end and then that's kind of like the writing on the wall it's like all right this ain't working we gotta fold up shop yeah but here's here's what i kind of saw with this i'm sure you saw like this with with oingo boingo with the writing of um danny elfman danny elfman writes great music no matter what the sound is and i felt like that with doug bennett he wrote great pop music not just great new wave music so i still dug it but i can understand if you're a fan of doug and the slugs at the time or oingo boingo like you were saying at that point when they abandoned that abandoned that sound for that more commercial radio appealing thing you'd feel abandoned but uh anyway that's from me yeah that's the thing like if you're a fan like i like i'm a fan of oingo boingo and i'm like i'm all i was discovering these like after the fact so like i wasn't like a guy who's in the scene in the moment they put on the record they're like what the hell is this shit like i was just like i'm into it i love it all yeah so and I, I feel like fans would probably be the same way or even like us, so redis- us discovering Doug now over being in the moment like because we have perspective we know bands change over time it's kind of par for the course whereas at the time when you're in the moment you want another whatever cognac and bologna or uh, whatever yeah and you're just not getting it yeah yeah I know what you mean one thing that I thought was weird about this album was that they put a live track in the middle of a non-live album. Yeah. That was odd. It was a good song, I Don't Want to Walk Away. But I just, I don't think I've ever heard that done before outside of like maybe a B-Sides album. You'll get that, or Greatest Hits album sometimes. But for like an actual album, I don't know, what the heck, they just didn't get it right in the studio. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it was odd, yeah. So the Slugs put out their final album in 1990. 
to Tales from Terminal City. It was released independently on what was Redong, but now it's Tomcat Records, um, and it received very little to no fanfare upon its release, uh, much like Doug Bennett's solo album, It's Hard to Find. I know you were able to find it, uh, which uh, we'll get into uh, in a second, uh, but it did see them abandon a lot of their 80s tropes in favor of the more traditional slug sound. However, uh, critics gave it some disappointing reviews. What were your thoughts of Tales from Terminal City? That's all right. got to go through this once uh yeah it's it was definitely trying to return to form but it's it's one of those things where it's like uh it's a good effort but it's like not quite capturing the magic of what it once was and again it's the same thing with the music industry after years on the road you're not the same fired up like 20 somethings that they were when they put the album out the first one yeah. you know what i mean so it's hard to be in that same place in time to recapture that so uh and after it's like you've gone off the beaten path a little bit it's hard to find your way yeah but it's, it's still good yeah well i think it's like what you said i think that uh fans of dug in the slugs and even the critics were looking for something different at the time and now that we're looking at this from a 2020 lens we're just like hey keep the fun times going guys we're loving it. More for us to listen to. Doug would continue to tour um, with the Slugs right through to the early 2000s, uh, but the lineup wasn't the same. It was rotating all the time. Uh, but that core six that I told you about at the beginning, they did reunite for a huge 25th anniversary concert in 2003, which was about a year before Doug died. Sadly, the booze caught up to him. He liked to drink. He'd appear drunk on stage sometimes. He'd like to booze before the show. He'd like to booze after the show. And uh, while on tour with a new version of Doug and the Slugs, uh, he was hospitalized for cirrhosis of the liver, fell into a coma, and died at the age of 52. Ah, I guess that's something that hits most of these rock stars. It's uh, it's not always the heroin or the suicides that get you. Sometimes it's the booze. Well, the the blue the booze is a bit of a silent killer, right? Because it's like when because when you overdose. You you can kill yourself in one go whereas boozing unless like you choke on your vomit you pull a john bottom or something like that it's hard to kill yourself in one go right unless you like yeah. get drunk fall out of a balcony or something but uh yeah it's something that just like it's death by a thousand cuts and it catches up to you you just look more haggard you look bloated you look just worn down and like because especially like we've talked about this like just in college and stuff where like when we were boozing we would just feel like garbage the next day it takes a lot out of you like that's why like a lot of people we grew up drinking with have like abandoned it for reefer because yeah. like oh, I'm not hung over the next day I just like I feel a little like funny in the moment then I'm good or it's like abandon it all together yeah, like myself. Yeah. I just don't drink anymore. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I enjoy a snifter or two of uh, schnapps at Christmas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to get to the part I know you've been anxiously waiting for, Brian. The reason why Doug and the Slugs didn't achieve an American, or for that matter, uh, a worldwide audience. I've got my theories. I think, though, that we're pretty in line here, but why don't you go first? What, what, you've been waiting on this one. What, what, did, what did you think? 
I mean, part of it, like I said at the beginning, part of it could be the name. It's just like kind of off-putting. That could be start of it, like getting more success. Um, I think the biggest thing, though, is just back then, everyone was about packaging and like uh you gotta like put these bands together to like take them on the road and i just feel like you even though they were like labeled i use air quotes as a pop band there's just all those different uh influences that they put out there and their their music is so diverse that you can't pin them down i mean like you could probably put them on tour with devo and they crush or like huey lewis or the go-go's or any of these great bands and especially like you look at that song uh, at the end of uh, uh what's it called she's looking at me at the end of the not tomcat prowl the album before pop again either way uh it's it's very like oingo boingo-y kind of quirky goofy and it's so, like they can yeah. play with any of those bands and like crush but it just i feel like for some reason because their music is so diverse i think it's it was more of a hindrance instead of them kind of staying in one lane you know i kind of had the exact same thing you had i, I wrote uh, they were too goofy for fans of the jam but too much of outsiders and weirdos for fans of Huey Lewis and the News. Yeah. Yeah, they, they existed in a plane all of a sudden to themselves. I think that you, when you mentioned Devo, I feel like that that would have been a good fit. Yeah. And it's, it's you know, granted these guys are, had different influences than Devo, and their music wasn't as complex as Devo, but they are just as goofy as Devo, which I, I, you figured would have given them an audience in the states but i guess they were just kind of happy here uh, i also thought that the slugs maybe had had time worked out differently and we could just kind of take the slugs catalog take the boys and just go all right we're gonna place you here in music history and we place them in like either like the late 90s ska boom or maybe even that early 2000s pop punk era when everyone was goofy they may have been able to get that international fan base that they were oh yeah for. like yeah they were they were too early for certain things too late on certain things it's just like uh you just couldn't like hell even if uh if they just like stripped away some of the ska because i i read on i think it was on their wikipedia that they they have a bit of like a influence on like the college rock kind of sound a little bit like there's even yeah that, that makes sense at the time well college like, rock in the 80s was anything that just wasn't mainstream and anything that yeah, wasn't like, on the radio it didn't like, have a specific like they could have even potentially like they're a little too goofy rem takes it too seriously but like they probably could have played in an audience like that but oh, shiny happy people and uh, stand are pretty goofy that's true <laughs> and like look at it's the end of the world like that's just yeah, a run on sense so. as well. i mean so like that's uh. the thing i feel like doug ben uh doug and the slugs could have played with any of these bands and crushed and like blown up their audience i mean the other thing too is maybe at that time the stigma of vancouver like maybe if they had like say hey guys why don't we move down the coast to california try to make a go at this they could have been caught up in that late 70s early 80s punk scene that's where the go-go's on go boingo yeah. the police all blew up from because yeah there's another band they could have turned with the police because day by day sounds like i'll be miss or not i'll be missing you uh every breath you take uh, a little bit a little bit yeah uh here's one thing though and I, this is honestly just dawned on me because we talked about in the econoline crush uh you know how they got to tour with like filter and godsmack and all these all these contemporaries in the u.s and you know uh, Maestro was tight with Public Enemy and uh, had they played shows with uh, the Beastie Boys and people like that. These guys, at least I did not see it when I was researching this. They didn't really have any major connections. Yeah. Uh, outside of Canada or really like in the music business. Like even that guy who wrote Hit Him With Your Best Shot who wrote a song for, uh, for uh, was it 
Tomcat Prowl? No, yeah. it was Propaganda for Propaganda. He was Canadian too. Like he 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 made American music, but like they didn't. It's almost like they just didn't have a lot of friends. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I don't know. Maybe it's because of like I I feel like almost the approach that they took could almost be seen as like alienating. Cause like you know uh like I watched this the documentary a few weeks ago about the Go Go's and how like they just kind of all fell in with these certain bands and made the right mm. connections and like how they got to yeah. tour with the specials. Even though they're not a Scott band, they toured with the specials and um obviously they the fire that sparks uh our are sealed which made them like super yeah. um they i just yeah they never made the right connections because people thought like these who are these weirdos and yeah uh, like but you like that's what i'm saying you put them in southern california they would have been probably welcoming with open arms because like yeah Elfman's sitting there with his creepy puppets like hey let's hang out with this big fat guy but they're out there in vancouver and it's just ah uh. You know what? Maybe they were just too independent. Yeah, that's maybe they got tired of, of waiting for other people to do them favors. That they just they did everything they could have possibly done on their own. Yeah. And you know what? That's a success for me. They did all of this by themselves. Whole bunch of Juno nominations, a whole bunch of hit albums, and a catalog filled with great music, and it was yeah. all done without any of that support. That's a major accomplishment. Yeah, to do that, that's what gets you those connections is some of the the label help, right? Yeah. Because didn't didn't uh, what got what got Maestro in touch with PE was someone who had like on a label, right? Who yeah, had, it was uh oh god, Rob Nelson. <laughs> I gotta remember the hold on, Ron Nelson. Yeah. Ron Nelson. Uh, I, yeah. I got the script. I got the script right here. <laughs> Last week. Yeah. Like Ron Are Nelson had between some had connections. They the Doug and the Slugs needed their Ron Nelson, who just could have maybe got them in touch with like you know after they were dropped by their one label, if they could have gotten on like IRS. Like that's the low, that's the label that had the Go Go's, Oingo Boingo, the Police, because that's Stuart Copeland's brother, the drummer for the Police. Like if they yeah. could have gotten like their attention, that would have opened up a whole new world. A whole new world. Well, in but, order for them to do that, they would have had to get a fan outside of Canada. They had fans in Australia, so. But also, like, did like I mean, this is the other thing too, with some of these lesser-known bands where research becomes problematic. Like, we don't know how hard they push. Like, you know, like there's certain bands that we'll get into later, like Sloan. Like, I know, like there's certain albums that they push. They did like this album was dedicated. Like, this is our. We gotta reach the states, and we'll try to tour the states. And like, I don't uh, know. That, the, they they did do that. They pushed uh, like music for the heart of thinking was I think intended to be. All right, we're here. Pay attention to us, and that's like, one of the reasons why it's so catchy. That album. But like, did they actually tour the states though? That's the thing we don't know. It's like how yeah, hard. Like, and also being in Vancouver, it can be easy just to shoot down the coast and try to do some like L.A., uh, California shows, some Washington uh, shows. But like, we don't. It's hard to say like how receptive they'll be yeah. because when I don't know what people because we weren't alive then. We don't know what people think when they hear all oh, this bands from Canada. Yeah, well, you gotta remember at the time. But Loverboy was big on the charts in the U.S. Um, you Rush. know, Rush. But they were doing that, that was a niche audience. Do you know what I mean? That was like for the musicians, the, the the rock and roll nerds was the Rush. They were they were able to get that get that over just based on their musicianship. Yeah. Um, like April Wine. <laughs> 
Well, that's a good band for us to cover on a later edition of uh, of Canada FM. I just got uh, a text from someone who, who recommended April Wine. <laughs> yeah, April Wine, and uh, well, we're going to get to everybody. Yeah. But there's a lot of bands, and yeah. uh, only so many that you can cover on a single episode. Yeah. So today was Doug and the Slugs. We went deep into the 80s to talk about them. We're going to go a little bit more recent next week. And we're going to go with uh, a band you and I have actually both seen live together. We're going to go with Ill Scarlet next week. Canada's answer to Sublime and uh, the reggae rock revival. So we'll see how that went for them on next week's episode. White boys doing reggae. Woo woo. Yes. Yeah. Something you and I will defend to the nail. 